Well, good morning. For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name's Ben. I'm the part-time admin here at Servants Church, and um, I've been graciously let to do uh, theology studies as well part-time. So I'm studying at Union School of Theology. Part of my preaching course is to submit um, a sermon that I've preached and be assessed on it. So that's what today is. I've been graciously allowed the opportunity to preach so that I can be critiqued on it. Woohoo! Um, now, you might find the timing it will be a little different than perhaps what you're used to, but that might just be a win-win situation. We might end with you wanting more, or you might be thankful that it's over already. Um, but let's, let's move into a time of some pre-discussion questions before we get going into the message. You should see them on the screen. I just thought I'd ask in your groups, and if you're um, in a smaller group, feel free to merge with other groups. Do, do get talking to somebody. Um, I want us to talk about what wearies us on an average weekly basis. Now, that's COVID included with all the recent troubles being stirred up. What is it that we least look forward to in a week? Um, and then what do we turn to for our comforts? What is it that we seek to find hope and relax in uh, when all those things are going on? So I'm just going to give us five minutes here. Let's discuss these things in our groups, and I'll be back. Well, I hope you had some time just there to start thinking about the kind of things that stress us out during the week um, and, and beyond. I, I overheard some, some themes, some topics you might expect. Work is obviously a big one. Um, but given the news right now, there's, there's other tremendously worrying things, isn't there, going on. We've got the second lockdown to worry about. We've got our Christmas plans being thrown out. We've got when we're going to be able to see friends and family next and, and all the other worries that come with that. Maybe you've been struggling with job situations or just um, another sleepless night, uh, the, the, the hardness of being a parent or persistent sin and temptation that you're struggling with. We're all battling. This isn't an easy time. And there's lots that can weary us in this world. But why don't you turn with me to Isaiah 40, Chapter 40, we're going to read verses 27 to 31. And we're going to see how God's people at this time, just like us, were feeling very weak, very powerless, and just saddened by the state of the world around them. So Isaiah 40, 27 to 31. And I'm reading in the ESV. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. 
this may well be a familiar passage to you. You may be reading it for the first time. But the situation in which God was comforting his people was a very trying time. His people were at least coming out of the exile, having suffered a generation, feeling like they'd been abandoned by God, coming back to desolate ruins of, of a city that they used to own. Maybe you can identify with how God's people were feeling in verse 27. My way is hidden from the Lord. My right is disregarded by my God. Or as the NASB puts it, that the justice due me has escaped the notice of my God. Is that how you're feeling today? Is that how our world feels? Maybe like there is no God. Maybe like we've been abandoned by God. How can we even hope? Does he even care? Well, our verse speaks to that feeling. If we move on to verse 28, what do we see? We see this challenge coming back from God as we lament with God's people from verse 27. We see the flow of this passage taking us out of our circumstances, out of our perspective, and looking up at God. We hear him instructing us, the Lord is the everlasting God, in verse 28, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. It's a powerful verse there, and really it's a summary statement, a conclusion of everything that chapter 40 has been on about so far, and I encourage you to go away today and read chapter 40 in its entirety, because it's a wonderful, poetic piece designed to comfort us. It is God describing his beauty, his majesty, his glory in a way that is uplifting to the soul, and we really just get the summary statement here that God is in charge, he's in control We get this beautiful description of his character. He is the unweariable. He is the creator God. He is the self-sustaining. This is who we know and worship. So hope begins then when we start to take our eyes off our circumstances, off the human perspective, and as we choose to look up and think on God's marvelous beauty in who his character is, But hope only starts there. God's character is one great reason for hope. But as we see as we move into verse 31, read that again with me. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. You see, God's people were faced with a hopeless-looking situation. They'd had a generation of exile behind them. They came back to one trashed Jerusalem, and they were wondering, what on earth is God going to do with this? Has he abandoned us? But here's God telling us in verse 31 that there's a promise. Notice how many times it says the word shall. They shall renew their strength, shall mount up, shall run, shall walk, and not be faint, and not grow weary. Those are promises made by God. If we believe in his character, if we've begun to take our eyes upwards and trust our creator God, then we can begin to trust his promises that he's set for us, that he will not leave us or forsake us, that he is with us even to the end of the age, that we shall run and not be weary. But there's something else in this verse too. It's not just hope coming from knowing God's character better. It's not just hope coming from believing his future promise. It's hope evidenced by his past faithfulness. You know this phrase here, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. What do you think of when you think of that imagery of eagles? 
that strong and majestic beast that flies high. Well, in the mind of the Israelite, that would almost definitely have conjured up images of the Exodus when God said back in Exodus 19 that, did I not bring you out of Egypt to myself on wings like eagles? That would have been a communal hope story that they would have all been sharing down the generations. They would have passed that down. Each generation of Israelites would have known the God of our fathers saved our people out of slavery. And it was majestic and it was beautiful and we were flying and soaring like on eagles. So this would have almost definitely stirred up that group hope that they would have been sharing together as they would have told the stories of how God did what he did in the past. And that's what we can be doing too, sharing our hope stories, being looking like a community of hope to the world around us, passing on to one another, encouraging one another with what God's doing in our lives. So that's where our hope is coming from, past faithfulness, future promises, God's character. But I have to ask, when we were in our discussion time earlier, where do you find your hope coming from? When the Israelites returned to their desolate capital, they were very tempted, and we know they did fall into idolatry again. They crafted their own idols by their hands. They served the gods of other nations. They did the things that God commanded them not to do. They were tempted to look in other places for their strength and for their hope. Where are we tempted to go? What sort of things came up in your discussion? Is it comfort food? Is it another human being? Is it the hope of politics, politicians, and human leaders? Maybe you don't even consciously recognize why you think you're hoping. You just believe everything is going to work out fine, and you're not really sure you have a reason for that. You know, let's look at verse 30. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. This world tells us we don't need God. We have the strength within ourselves. If you dig deep enough, you will find that you have the power to become a better version of yourself. You are your own superhero. That if you just try harder, if you just press on, you'll overcome Well, verse 30 is telling us quite the opposite. God is saying that even the strongest men, even the most determined of people, have their limits. And what have we just read in verse 29? God has no limits. In fact, he set the limits of the earth. He has set the limits of man. And are we trusting and hoping in our leaders and those who are the highest of humanity with their power? Or do we really see that those in power are making the best use of it? Do we really see a good use of power distributed across the earth? Well, God uses his power for good. True power is mercy. True power is God uniting himself to the weakest among us and stepping down into our weakness and into our chaos. How does this work then? What does this hope play out like in the daily life of the believer? Let's let's look at verse 29 together. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. When you put that together with the ideas, with the imagery of verse 31, soaring like an eagle, running and not fainting, We're not just talking about some kind of 
emotional ecstasy here that being a Christian brings. We're not just desensitized to our issues and flying and fluttering above them like things aren't a problem and don't exist. That's not what God does. He's not some distant, far-off creator who's not really interested. Not at all. We see in verse 29, he is the kind of God who shares his creative all-power with us lowly human beings. And that's really the essence of what it means to be a Christian. We believe, don't we, that the power of God has come to earth in the person of Jesus. And he died that weak-looking death on a cross. And from the human perspective, it looked like a failure. But as Jesus rose again and beat the powers of death, he is now with God and has all power, has subjected all creation under his feet. And to believe, like you and I do, that we are united to that same Jesus, that is the power of his resurrection at work in us by his Holy Spirit. What a glorious and beautiful reality that we have the creative character of God at work in us by the sustaining Savior. And that's what it says. That's where the beginning of the renewal of our strength comes about. You'll see the quote from Matthew 11 on the screen. This is, this is Jesus speaking who says, and in the NIV, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. That's really where the beginning of our re-sprouting of strength comes from. That's really the start of anyone's recognition that they are weak and powerless and they need some external help. It is coming to this Jesus who said, I am all power and I want to share it with you so that we could be risen with him and co-rulers and co-heirs over the whole earth. Are you feeling weary? Do you need that rest? Do you need a peace that the world just can't seem to satisfy? Well, Jesus is calling, come to me, come to me. And for you and I who believe and experience this reality, we know that the renewal of our strength is an ongoing transformation, don't we? That it's an active choice every day in obedience to choose where we're getting our hope from, where we're drawing our strength from. It's our delight now with Christ by the Holy Spirit to say, I will not choose the comforts of the world. I will go first to my Lord and sit at his feet for he is all that is goodness, and he sustains me by his very word. Just as he sustains the cosmos, he is sustaining our every breath. It's very human to feel depressed, to feel weak and broken and saddened by the state of the world around us, the nations, just our own lives, and how powerless we feel to change things and ourselves. But it's from that position that we can triumphantly say there is hope. God is calling us through this passage to raise our eyes and ask, where does our hope come from? Our hope comes from the Lord, from his promise, from his character, from his faithfulness. And as we're united into that by the sustaining Savior, he's beckoning us in every trial and in every situation to look up, child, I'm in control. I've got a plan, and it's good. So we are really to be a people of hope to the world around us. Where does their hope come from? 
where we can be those who share our stories of hope, just like God's people always have. We can be those with the best reason for hope. And I want to challenge us all by asking what are we going to be doing this week and in weeks to come, even later today, to get our eyes off ourselves and our circumstances, to cry out to God, to pull us up from the mire of depression. What are we going to do to grow in his strength and in his hope? What time, what activity could we reclaim that we recognize in the week as being stolen away, as being a, a hope-stealing, a hope-draining activity? Could we instead inject ourselves with some of God's character, with some of his love? What could we be doing instead and trade up? And it's from that place that we'll be ready to do as Peter says, which is to have an answer for the hope that we have. Well, you'll see the final discussion questions come up on the screen. I want us to think about some of these things. What is it that is our hope story? Maybe our testimony, yes, maybe something God's done recently in your life. Let's start sharing some of those things that really are our power and our joy. And then to start thinking of different and creative ways. We know how hard it can be to get our eyes back on God in the average week. I hope in your groups, like I just heard in, in ours, that you've heard some testimonies of God's faithfulness and hope to us. I would just like to close in prayer. We, we thank you, Lord our God. We're, we're left speechless at times by how hard life can be, by how deep and dark the pit can feel. But thank you that you're a God who jumped right down into our mess to pull us up. Thank you, Jesus, for coming. Thank you that there is hope and we can be the proclaimers of hope in this community, in this nation, in this world. Thank you that you ask us to be hope bringers and the most powerful hope we have to share is our personally lived experiences of you, God. Thank you for how you've brought us all through hopeless times. Please encourage us, Lord, on a daily basis. Please help us to encourage one another that there's more to life, that we can expect a perfect recreation to come and that you're working things out through us even now. We love you, Lord. We love this hope that we have and we trust you for the rest of today, for you to be glorified and for you to strengthen us with your grace and presence. We thank you, Lord, again. Amen.